An error occurred when originally recording this podcast. Subsequently, the first part of this message is missing. We apologize for this inconvenience. The sermon brought by Pastor Tommy Phillips is based in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-14. through 14. And, and maybe you fear that deep down in your heart you have this inevitability, feeling of inevitability. One day, it's inevitable. I'm not going to believe this anymore. And I've seen the journey. I've seen it over and over and over. And, it, and it's no, really no different than what the angel, ancient, ancient Israelites were, were doing. It has a root. Paul tells them the root in several times, several different places. Um, and, and I'm going to look at them real fast. Verse 6, that we might not desire evil as they did. So he says there's this desire um, that they had that was not for God. It was for something else. Verse 7, do not be idolaters if some of them were. Um, he tells them, the reason they didn't desire God is because they desired something else, and, and that would be their idol. In verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Um, after giving them this big warning about how their forefathers fell, and they're going to fall, and he says, how do you not fall? Flee from idolatry. It's that simple. S- keep your life free of idols. Um, in light of everything, he even says, therefore, my beloved, Free from idolatry. Um, in light of everything, the therefore is, is the active part because it says, from everything I've just said, what can you take away from everything I've just told you? Therefore, flee from idols. Find them and get rid of them. Run from them. So this, this is a message to their church saying, you're going to be destroyed just like those before you were. No matter how upright your church is, you must be on your guard because idols will destroy you. No, no matter how strong, no matter how grounded in the scriptures you are, Paul wants you to constantly be fleeing from idolatry. And he knows that it will destroy you just like as you look back through church history for 2,000 years and 4,000 if you count the ancient Israelites. Um, just like a huge segment of every generation of the followers of Yahweh, a huge segment of all of them have fallen into idolatry and fallen away. Several times a year, you'll see, these, you'll, you'll see the leaders of these massive ministries or churches or televangelists that make the news for doing, going off and, and, and just doing whatever. And have splashed all over the front page of the news. There's another one. There's another one. They don't actually believe what they're telling you they believe. And I want you to know this. And this is what the news tells us. And it really, Paul says, what causes all of this is idolatry. And he hammers this sort of into their heads. Um, Look at verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. You're standing. If you're upright, if you're standing up, you can fall over. If you're flying, you can crash. You think you're so safe because you're standing. You think you're strong because you're standing. You can easily just be taken down. No one is capable of surviving while idolatry is thriving in their lives. Idolatry will always take you down, no matter how strong you think you are against it. Um, verse 13 is very telling about the human heart. No temptation has taken you that is not common to man. This is the best um, because you hear this. People, people fall into these big things and they get splashed on the news and, and what do they, a lot of times they get up and they say, um, you don't understand the situation that I was in. It was very unique. Um, I'm stronger than most people and this situation took me down. I, I, I don't think you would have, I think you would have done the same thing. Um, nobody could have gone through what I went through and not do what I did. The temptation was, was so special and so new, unique that I couldn't, I couldn't help but give in to it. It, it was beyond my control. And, and Paul says, no, it, it wasn't unique. It was typical. 
you were taken down because you had idols and the temptation that you have is common and you didn't deal with it and here you are. You desired something other than God. You felt like God was keeping you from something that was necessary in your life and you decided that you, that, that you were enslaved by God and you had to break free, that he was holding you back from keeping yourself happy. And Paul tops all this off by saying, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. He says, the way out was there. It was clear. It was, God put it there himself. It was a gift to you so you wouldn't be enslaved by by what you're in danger of being enslaved by. So there's a few things that, that really need to be done if we are to receive and understand the, the message that Paul has about idolatry and some of the questions that need to be answered here. And, and the questions are really very, very simple. because we, We've established idols are bad. Idols will destroy us. They've destroyed a, a massive segment of every generation of Christians that has gone before us. We have to get rid of these idols. So, so first off, we, the question is, what's an idol? What's an idol? How, why do they exist? How do they work? Why are they so powerful? How do they destroy us? And then, and then how do we learn how to spot them? What do they look like? Where are they found? And then lastly, how do we destroy them? How do we get them out of our lives? How do we deal with them when we find them? And how do we keep them from coming back? So, um, Researching the idea, the theological idea of idols this week, I found two quotes from uh, the brilliant John Calvin um, who puts it rather well. He says this, From this we may gather that man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. Now we've talked about idolatry a lot. It's, it's a subject that I will always keep coming back to because it's something that, um, well, keeps coming back. Idols always come back. Why do idols always come back? Because our hearts are idol factories. It's what they do. They make idols. Um, so he has this commentary on the, books of, on the book of Acts, and he writes this. Every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, expert in inventing idols. An expert in inventing idols. Um, idols are, are not something that we're already there. We, we sort of take something, pick something up, and we, we make an idol out of it. Um, and we're going to get into this and find out what exactly this is. Um, so John Calvin came to understand something about the human heart. That it, first off, it desired things that it did not have. Um, and, and it really could be anything. It could be respect. It could be like an emotion like respect or esteem or praise. It could be um, our heart desires to be in a certain situation. Um, uh, you know, adrenaline pumping, things like that. Um, it, it could be it could be physical things, some sort of machine or electronics or, or a job or, or it could be a physical thing um, that, that sort of, it could be a car that sort of represents you, how you want people to see you. Not only did the human heart desire things, Calvin found out, is, but, but when, when it received the thing that it desired, it instantly replaced the idol with something else. The idol was this, you receive this, instantly your heart's like, not happy, next, that, and it starts going for something else. It's never happy. It's a factory. It just keeps pumping out idols. Someday you have 20 or 30 idols are stacked up all around, and you're like, whoa, that, and then you go for that. Um, it's never happy. Sometimes five or six idols at once. Your heart is an idol factory because it has to worship. Your heart was designed to worship. It will worship, and it will lock itself onto things to worship. So how do idols work? Idols, um, 
are in the business of promising to give you something that only God has promised to give. This is what makes it an idol. It says, you want that? I can give you that. And your heart's telling you, well, scriptures tell you that God's supposed to give you that. Yeah, but I can make it easier. And funner. And you, you can have it quick. And it'll be physical. And you'll enjoy it more. It'll, it'll be a lot more fulfilling. Um, this is how idols work. This is what they do. They promise to give you something that God has promised to give you. This answers what the question of what is an idol. An idol really is anything that is promising to give you something that only God can give. Um, acceptance. This is, this is a big one, acceptance. People want to be accepted. God has promised that you are accepted without even changing. You are accepted the exact way that you are to come to him, to be one of his children, to be part of his church, to be loved and accepted and given grace and mercy. You are accepted. You don't need to change. An idol steps in front of the conversation you're having with God and says, yeah, but you could be this. And look at these people. They would accept you if you looked like this, if you acted like this, if you had this, if you were knowledgeable about this. They would accept you. And it's very tangible. And you desire that. It becomes an idol. How about esteem? God has promised to make you great if you follow Jesus. Not great in the earthly thing, in the earthly ways, not, not rich, powerful, all these things. He has promised that you will have esteem. You will be great. And by great, I mean unenslavable, immortal, rich, not in earthly terms, in cosmic terms. Remember 1 Corinthians 3, he says, everything is yours. Everything that your heart desires, every itch that you have will be scratched. Every desire that you have will be given to you. All of it will be yours. You will be great. So idols are anything that, that steps in front of you, uh, in, in front of your conversation that you have with God. And they're anything that is not God that you, that you look to to receive that you should be getting from God. They promise you an alternative route, sometimes an easier route. They, they, they require you to turn your face away from God and look at them and chase after them. When you do this, you're taking that throne and you're pushing God right off of that throne and you're putting that throne under something else. You say, you're on the throne. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get what I want from you, not from God. They require you to turn away from God and run from him. Um, this is exactly what the Israelites did. Every single time, the passage will always start with, and they turn their faces from God. They turn their eyes from God. Their hearts were turned to idols. They always turned away from God uh, in order to receive their worth, their identity, their security, their esteem, their respect. Um, they wanted to get it from things, physical things, not from God. And you must take God off of his throne in order to receive that. So how do idols destroy us? Idols have all of their destructive power in one big lie. They mimic the spiritual realm and manifest it in our hearts. Now, this is kind of a, kind of a, it, it, it sounds existentialist. No, um, it, it, this is a very interesting thing, and I guess, I guess I have to explain this in long form so, so we can understand this together. Um, they mimic what is going on in your hearts, and, and they, they make it play out in real life. They create this imaginary heaven and hell, each complete with a God and a Savior. And here's what I mean. You desire something, and your heart convinces you that if you just had that, your life would be better. Again, it could be anything. The thing that you want, if you had it, the thing that you were living for. When you get it, you are, your mind is telling you, your heart is telling you, 
you will be in heaven. Your wildest dreams will come through. It's like voting for Pedro. Your wildest dreams will come through if you, true if you vote for me. And, and, and if, if that happens, you are in heaven. All right, so that is your heaven. That is what you're going after. If I was just skinny, if I was just cool, if, if I was just smart, if I was married, if I was wealthy, if I was pregnant, if I had kids, if, if I was famous, if I was talented, if I was, if I was in charge of something, if I was respected by those around me, things would be better. I would be respected. I would be in heaven. And they tell you this, and you follow it. And and so what happens when you don't receive what you were going for? The adverse side of, of, of receiving your heaven, if you don't get what it has promised you, that heaven that you wanted, what happens is not getting it becomes your hell. You're in hell trying to get yourself out of it into heaven. And your hell could become having no accomplishments. I've accomplished nothing, and I'm this age. That's your hell. You're suffering there. You will eternally suffer there until you accomplish something and people recognize that you have accomplished something. Um, People thinking that you're stupid. You flaunt your knowledge. You, You mention books all the time. You are always quoting people. It's... Uh, it, uh, and th- this is how um, you want people to know you as intellectual. And, and if they don't see you as intellectual, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to be in hell until they do. So you work really hard at that. Being poor, maybe that's your hell. Uh, I don't want to struggle through life. I want to lay on a lounge chair by the beach. I, wanna, I, I want everyone to know that I'm well off. Some of you have social anxiety because of the pressures that come along with hanging out with certain groups of people. You get so nervous hanging out with them. You actually get stomach aches and stomach cramps because you're like, okay, I have to perform. They have to accept me. And, and when they accept me, I will be in and I will be in heaven. And you think, if they aren't impressed, if they reject me, I don't know what I'll do. I will be in hell. Your physical life is mirroring the spiritual side of you. And, and, and all of this puts you at the mercy of those people whose approval that you want, the, the boss who you're trying to keep happy, um, the, the lifestyle that you want, you're at the mercy of, of getting those things, and so you're striving for it, and those things, what happens? They become your God. Whoever the person is whose approval that you are seeking, they are your God, you are worshiping them, and you are doing whatever you can to earn their approval. It is the opposite of Christianity, which tells you God already approves of you. Every other religion in the world tells you you have to impress God, make him happy and impressed with your spiritual abilities. You have to live right, live by the moral code, and, and, and earn God's favor. Well, that's a lie. And what's worse is you're, this lie is playing out hundreds of times every single day in your life, trying to earn somebody's approval. Keep your boss happy. Your boss is your God. You live to serve their approval. They're, they're not, and they're, the thing is, they're not a gracious God. They require lots and lots and lots of work to win them over in your favor, and even when you finally win them over and, and, and your God is happy with you and pleased with you, you are constantly at the threat of losing the approval of your God, and it is constantly looming over you, and the pressure is intense. And some of you are feeling that, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We've all been there. Some of us are there. And what happens is you end up working very, very, very hard to receive these things. And you now, um, through saving yourself, through earning their approval, you become your own functional savior. It's all there. 
All the spiritual stuff is there. There's heaven, there's hell, there's God, there's a savior. It's all there. And sometimes you become your own savior. And when you finally save yourself, you praise yourself and you well up with pride and you just get so arrogant. Um, I was fat, but now I'm skinny. And what do you do? You make fun of fat people. You were fat last year and now you're skinny. Now you're making fun of fat people. Why? Because you saved yourself. You are your savior. You saved yourself from that. All right? I was poor, but now I'm rich. And now I can't have these poor people around me. I surround myself with rich people now and I mock them. Why? Because I saved myself. I'm my savior. I was uneducated. Now I'm smart and I laugh at people who are dumb and I make fun of them because I have saved myself. We are ultimately destroyed by our pride because you know what? Everyone hates a prideful person. Even prideful people hate prideful people. They hate you. They don't want to be around you. And eventually, you will destroy yourself. This is how pride works. This is how the Israelites fell. This is how massive church leaders fall. This is how things work. So how do you spot an idol in your life? I'm glad you asked. There's a few simple little questions. I know this is coming across like a self-help book. It's not normally like this. This is just stuff that needs to, needs to happen, all right? Um, normally, it's much more historic. Normally, I want you to know how smart I am. <laughs> what is it that you want more than anything? What is it? It's in your mind right now. You're thinking of it. If I had this, and you're like, but that's not, that's just something I want. That's not my idol. Let's talk about that thing that you have in your mind. It's just something I desire. It's not like an idol. It's not like I worship it or anything. Really, what happens if you don't get it? Well, I'm, I'll be happier when I get it. So you're saying you're sad now that you don't have it. And you'll be really happy when you get it. According to John Calvin, a pretty smart dude, when you get it, you won't be satisfied. You'll want something else. You'll want more. What is that thing that you want more than anything? Is there something that if you had would just make you perfectly happy? Is it a spouse? Is it children? Is it a degree? Is it a car, a job, a career? What is it? It could be anything. What is this thing promising you? Why do you want a spouse? Why do you want children? What is it promising you? What is it telling you you will have if you have this? Is it, is it something that, that you're supposed to be receiving from God? Probably. Is it purpose? You're supposed to find that in God. Is it acceptance? You have that in God. Is it identity? Check, you've got that in, in Christ. Is it security? Yes, you've got more security in Christ than anywhere. So what is it that you want that thing to give you? And what happens if you don't receive it? Is it your own little personal self-invented hell? Probably. Is it, if you never receive it, will you be eternally tormented? That, that, that void, it's supposed to be filled with God, by God. It's not supposed to be filled with that thing that, that, that you desire more than anything. Would you be okay if you just never received it? Seriously, would you be okay? Would life move on? Could you be happy in Christ? If not, you have an idol. And Paul tells you, that can destroy you. That will keep you from following Christ. What do idols look like? They could be anything, but usually... They're really, really good things. Things that we love. Things that scriptures tell us are great, are wonderful. 
We're enslaved not by the things that we hate, we're enslaved by the things that we love. Look, a spouse is a really, really good thing, but a spouse will never be able to promise you security, understanding, happiness, or grace. A spouse will not give you that. And and what's worse is, if you're expecting to receive these things from a spouse, then then one day you're going to get married and, and you're going to destroy your marriage by forcing that person to bear something that they are completely incapable of bearing. They cannot be what you want them to be. The weight is too heavy. You run the risk of destroying your whole marriage by asking them to be this thing for you. Is it children? You want children really bad? Children are a good thing, but a child will ultimately not meet that need you have for purpose and that need to be needed. A child will not fully meet that need. And if you're expecting these things from a child, you're making your children into idols. And you can easily destroy them by denying them their independence, and they're going to run from you. They're going to feel overbeared, and they're going to run from you. Or, or they're going to stay close, and they're going to get older, and they're going to move out. Because that's what happens. We move out. And then you've lost your purpose. You've lost your need. You've lost your idol. You've, you're in hell again. These things are not found in these physical things that, that we're holding up and saying, give me, give me what I want. And God's up there saying, I already gave you that. And you're like, shh, it's talking. (laughs) Your idols might even be spiritual. And this was a big thing I saw when I was at Bible college. It it could be a ministry. If I only worked for some missions organization, or if I was only some theologian, some big writer, a PhD, or if I was a pastor or a teacher, then what? Then what? I ask him, then what? Then you could serve God? Only then could you serve God? What about now? Um, No, but then I'd be respected for serving God. Oh, so it's really not about God. Then, then maybe you could pay God back for the things that he's done for you. No, that doesn't work either. This was never about God. This was about you. And ministry is an idol. And you want to use ministry and spreading the gospel to worship yourself and your idol. This is very dangerous. Maybe your idol is a church. Maybe you jump from church to church to church and you're looking for the church community. And, and this is a big one. The, the church that can give you everything that you've always wanted in a church that only really God can meet. I, I want this, I want this, and I want this. You're ordering a pizza in church form. And you want it delivered in 30 minutes or less. See what I did there? Um, and no church will ever meet your expectations and what's worse, no pastor wants you in his church because instead of caring about the church, you care about yourself. And, and you become divisive. You divide churches. And you're just going to keep going until you find that one. And if the one you're in is not it, you're going to start complaining, you're going to take off. You're some kind of prize you want people to win. No, you're an idol. It could be a job that promises that people will respect you or think you're smart. It could be a house filled with all the meaningful, beautiful things that you desire. Those aren't bad things, but those can become idols. It could be acceptance into a subculture that you admire. None of, of, of these things are inherently bad on their own, but you've made them heaven, and you will not be satisfied until you are out of your hell of not having them, and you blame God for not giving them to you because you feel God owes you them. Well, God's not the bad guy. 
and the things that you have right now, everything that you have is necessary for your growth in Christ, and everything that you do not have right now is either unnecessary or God doesn't want to give it to you because it will keep you from growing. You don't need it to grow close to God. You can do that right where you are. Maybe God's saying, I'm not going to give you that. You know what you'll do with it? You're going to worship it. You're going to destroy it. I'm going to wait until you're ready, which is maybe never. So how do we kill our idols? Uh, there we go. First thing we need to do is remember that our, idol, our heart is an idol factory. So if you find the idol and you destroy it, need to keep in your mind another one's about to pop up. I need to guide my heart. I need to stay close to God. I need to focus it on him all the time. We must constantly be searching our souls daily in our prayers, being vigilant and asking God for sight to see our idols that we are constructing in our hearts. We have to be honest about it. We have to name our idols. We have to, when we find one, name it. I found an idol. Hey guys, get over here. Look at this. I found an idol. Name it. This is what it is. This is something, I've talked to you guys a bunch about it. I've always said I wanted this. I don't have it because it's an idol. Say it. Track down your idols. Where does the majority of your money go? Is that an idol? Well, why, do you mis- why do you make the choices that you make? Maybe, you, maybe you're dating a bunch of losers because you're desperate to get married because, dating, because marriage is an idol. Maybe you're doing degrading jobs for money because you're desperate to buy this or that to impress somebody, and that person's your God. This is your idol. Why are you doing the things you do? Why do you care so much about what that person thinks? Why do you care what they think? Because they are your God. That's why you care what they think. And when you find an idol, you know what you do? You confess it. You tell people about it. You name it. You confess it. Not just to God, not just in your daily prayers, to your fellow Christians. This is the great thing about the church community. Confession and openness in our spiritual journey keeps us all humble. It keeps idols out of our lives. It keeps us focused on God. When you tell somebody, this is an idol of mine, watch for it. They will watch for it, and they will call you on it, and it will probably make you raging mad when they do. But you told them to, and it's good for you. It's an idol of yours. And, and what you're doing, when you tell people, I have idols, I, here, here's one, I need you guys' help, call me on it. You're calling a bunch of soldiers to stand with you, armed and ready, for when you start going that way again, and they're going to bring you back in. This is how the church works, a community of confession, when we are all open and honest about the things that we struggle with, the sins that are in our lives, and throwing these things off. This is the only way. If you are hiding all of your, all of your, all of your everyday things that, that you need to be confessing to other people, if you're hiding them, nobody's going to be there to help you kill them. A community of confession is vastly important. It's vital to a church. Um, and there's something else that, that, is, that is important to me that, that I thought of and, and added it in late so I don't have a slide. Um, sometimes we let ourselves become idols for other people. We let it happen. It's something we do voluntarily. And we are active in doing this. Do you know how dangerous it is to allow yourself to be worshipped by someone else? Do you understand how dangerous that is? What that leads to? People admire you and you know it. And you keep them at arm's length. Because as long as you can do that, 
they keep admiring you. And you know that certain people want your approval. And you carry on and, and, and lead them on without the thought of letting them ever win your affection. You'll throw them little tidbits of pleasure here and there. I like that. That's beautiful, what you're wearing today. That's great. And you walk on, and you're a tease, and, and, and you want them to admire you, and this is how you live your life. You've made yourself a god for other people. You're withholding grace from them. You're, you're playing with fire. You need to repent of that. They are worshiping you. You are letting them worship you. You are taking the place of God in their lives, and you're allowing it to happen. And all you need to do to destroy yourself as the idol is to let them know how much you love them. Wrap your arms around them, walk with them, spend time with them, be honest with them about your flaws and your faults. It doesn't take much, but you'll never do that because you enjoy it. Love freely, accept others freely, serve them sacrificially. Micah puts it, puts it best. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? It's all that is required of you. It's not that complicated. And our hearts are creating idols. Our hearts are making ourselves gods to be worshipped. And this is what we do. And Paul's warning to us is, you're going to destroy yourself, your church, your community, maybe even your whole nation, because you refuse to get rid of these idols in your life. It's kind of a big deal. Like, this kept me up thinking about this. Maybe a bunch of you will be up in the middle of the night, call each other. I can't sleep. I got idols, bro. <laughs> and deal with it. It's a good time to take communion while it's light. Um, we take communion every single week. It's a very important part of our community. Um, we, uh, we take time to remember Jesus, what he did for us, his sacrifice on the cross, his bread, that, his body that was broken for us, his, his blood that was spilled for us, symbolized in the bread and the wine. We take some time in prayer, we think about what we have studied, and we respond to it, and we repent of things. Maybe you need to repent of some idols. Maybe you need to get with somebody and confess some idols that you have. Maybe you have propped yourself up as a god in someone else's life, and you need to take some time and apologize, and, and, and be honest about some flaws that you have, and, and show them a little bit of grace and love, and lift them up. Um, so let's do this. Let's take communion. Our communion servers are going to come on up. We're going to have two in the front, two in the back. Take some time. Take your time. Talk to God. Repent of things you need to repent of, and then we're going to sing a song and respond to it. Father, we love you. You're a good God. You're a holy God. Be with us now as we do this in remembrance of you. Um, we, we take um, the bread as your body, and we dip it in the blood, and it symbolizes the sacrifice you made for us, and we take it down deep inside of us, as if to say we take the gospel in and, and this is what we feed on. This is the substance that we live by, the gospel. Teach us to cr- destroy our idols, to just smash them, to throw them on the ground. We don't need them and these things that we desire, they cannot give us the things that you have promised to give us. Keep our hearts close to you. We love you, Father. You deserve all of our affections. In your name, amen. Take some time and talk to God this morning.